This is episode 92 of the Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work podcast. This episode is titled, The Genius of Office Space. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work, where we talk about work, working, and how to make work better. If it's work-related, we're on it. Who knew talking about work would be this much fun? I'm Jennifer Crittenden, a former CFO and host of the show. And thank you for joining our quest to improve our workplaces. Let's do this. I am really thrilled to have a new guest on the show today to talk about the movie Office Space with me. And I found Stuart Gaston by sleuthing around on the internet. I was looking uh, for a fan maybe or an expert about the movie to come and talk about this really great movie that I thought would be a good topic for the show. And I came across this website bsjob.com. It's not abbreviated on the website. It's uh, spelled out. And he had all kinds of clips from the movie, but also a whole bunch of stuff, which my listeners know would be right up my alley. So like, you know, ridiculous job title generator, and there's a quiz to see if your job is a BS job and a place where people can write in and talk about terrible things that happened at their job. So that was all right up my alley. Uh, So welcome to the show, Stuart. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. I want to give a little bit of background about the movie. Um, And so we're talking about the movie Office Space, not the TV series, uh, The Office. It was uh, released in 1999 and written and directed by Mike Judge. And at that point, he wasn't really that famous. He had done Beavis and Butthead, um, but wasn't particularly well known outside of, you know, that kind of uh, specialized audience. That's right. The, the movie, I should say, was a follow-on to a cartoon about a character named Milton, who was actually based on a real person that Judge had worked with. And I didn't realize that Judge actually had a history in Silicon Valley. There's a little bit more information on the Wikipedia article about the movie, about his experience of not being able to make rent and working these terrible jobs. Anyway, so he wrote this and directed this movie which wasn't very successful when in its theatrical release. It only made about $12 million against a budget of $10 million. And so Judge kind of walked away from it at that point and went on to work on some other projects. But Comedy Central started showing the movie regularly. Yeah, in the late 90s and early 2000s, I think. So at that point, people started picking up on it, and it became quite popular as a home video rental, which is how I discovered it, mm-hmm. and eventually became really a cult favorite and, and very famous now. So Stuart, tell me what the movie meant to you and why you created the website. Well, I got started in cubicle culture in 1994 when I was in college, and I had a part-time job delivering mail through these giant mazes of cubes, so big, uh, a major printer corporation that shall remain nameless and now has shut down that facility. Fifth and Oak, Third and Alder, these were like the street names, quote unquote, of the cubes. And the cubes are six feet tall and I'm just over six feet so I can get on my tiptoes and see across this giant expanse of cubes. And I would motor my little cart around and drop off the mail and packages. And you know, I have some funny stories from my mailroom days um, fast forward a few years, I said, I, I don't want to do that cubicle thing. I graduate. Sure enough, I can code HTML, which <laughs> I had about 12 months experience coding HTML back in that day. And that was like a lifetime. Oh, high demands. You can code HTML and make websites. <laughs> so, I, right. so, I, so I immediately got a job in a cube in 1998. And then the movie came out and I, I saw it with a friend in the theater and we're like, this is like a documentary, you know, <laughs> I, uh, because every day was the same. We, we went to the local in the suburbs. We went to the, the restaurant that you hated. It wasn't very good food, but they had a lunch special oh, and, right. and, you know, your boss would drone on about his boss and their boss and you'd have meetings. We had a meeting of, about how to have fewer meetings. Oh no. That was the topic of the meeting. So 
that, that's how I got introduced to the movie. Which reminds me, I'll throw this in here. I noticed when, when one of the scenes they're in an conference room that has a whiteboard on it and the whiteboard says at the very top of it planning to plan yeah, right. <laughs> so much subtle stuff in that movie it's great uh-huh yeah so that's how I got uh, kind of introduced to the movie itself and then uh, my friends and I would kind of quote it as we went to work and we kind of played pranks on our boss like at one point um, we had to come up with the title of a report that we were building and we use the acronym TPS. Of course. Uh, and our boss hadn't seen the movie yet. So it almost made it through the approval process until one of our coworkers that we hated, that Brian, kind of like the Brian from the restaurant that's all got the flair. Like he was like the goody two shoes employee. And he told his boss, you can't name it TPS because that's from a movie. Oh, he knew. Yeah, he knew. He knew and he he spoiled it. it, Right. He spoiled it. Oh, that would have been very funny. Yes. Uh, let's see. So I should also say here to the listeners that we, if you haven't seen the movie, pause the podcast and go watch it because it's great. Um, mm-hmm. But also because we are going to do a lot of spoilers in this one as we talk about the show. So I don't want to wreck the movie for you. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good family movie if your kids are old enough to appreciate the the moments of adult humor because it kind of gives them a primer for what you do every day <laughs> if you go to the office. Like, and I kind of understand like, why, why does mommy or daddy talk about work all the time at dinner? Well, this is why. Watch this movie because it's absurd and frustrating. Yeah, I was watching it um, with my kids and I had a long corporate career and ended up as an executive. So I had my own set of problems, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. A real but straight shooter with upper management written all over you. Exactly, right? But there's that scene at the beginning where they're talking about the TPS reports, or they have to have some kind of cover. And everybody keeps saying to the main character when he, when, when he doesn't do this new procedure, Oh, didn't you get the memo? Oh, Did I'll you get send. The memo? Yeah, yeah, didn't you get the memo? I'll send it over to you. Oh, you you didn't get the memo, and it's so irritating, right? I yeah. could so completely relate to this mm-hmm. person who's made a mistake, and then everybody's like, "Oh, just kind of rubbing it in." And so I said something to my kids about, "Oh, this is so irritating when this happens," and they were really surprised, like, "Oh, at your level." you know, things like this would happen. It's like, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Your your boss and your underlings uh, take the opportunity to kind of rub it in. And what's worse is when you can't really tell if they're just oblivious um, and they mean well, and that's irritating in its own right. And then when people, you feel like sometimes they might be deliberately needling you and that's irritating in another way. And maybe it's kind of two things happening at once, right? There's workplaces are so complicated. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, but there's a, there was a uh, comment I read somewhere about the movies, quote, brutal portrayal of workplace misery. I thought that was, yeah, very well put. Mm -hmm. So there, so for listeners who maybe have seen the movie, but I haven't seen it for a long time, there are kind of three really memorable things that, are so iconic. TPS reports is one when people refer to mm-hmm. that, you'll be in the know. The other one is the stapler. Mm-hmm. And yep. that there, there is stapler. Yeah, Milton's stapler. And I was really amused to read that they didn't have such a stapler at that time in 1999, a red swing line stapler. They painted it. They painted it, right. But then afterwards, swing line actually came out with a red stapler, like they Absolutely. they took the hint from the movie and produced the product. So it was very I'm amazing. looking at mine right now. Oh, you have one. Yes. <laughs> That's funny. Absolutely. And then the other one, the other two I'll mention, we can circle back to them. This thing about flair, mm-hmm. about the uh, servers in a restaurant um, being required to wear a certain amount of flair. Mm-hmm. And there's all this tension in the movie between one of the servers who's played by Jennifer Aniston, who's fabulous in the movie, mm-hmm. because she's wearing the flair, like she's obeying the rule, but she's not really into it. And her boss kind of starts pressuring her, basically, who wants her to change her attitude. And that's just mm-hmm. the problem, because she does not want to change it. So then they have this back and forth about, 
well, you're only wearing the bare minimum of flair. And really we want, look at this other person, Brian, look at how much flair he's wearing. (laughs) And my husband told me that the boss in that uh, restaurant scene, I guess he's been there twice, is actually Mike Judge. Yeah, that's my uh, young Mike Judge. Yeah, that's amazing. He does look really young, but he plays Mm -hmm. that part really well. Like he's experienced that. Uh He's one of the worst. I think he might be worse than Lumberg. Lumberg. I don't know. <laughs> so the third one I'll mention, um, in case people see references to this, is the sort of mafia-esque scene where the workers are beating the uh, mm-hmm. Dickens out of a printer. It's a printer, I think, yep. after they've been laid off. And it, it takes place kind of in a on some grass, and it, it's very sinister. And they... Uh, really take it out on that printer mm-hmm. so back to Lumberg that act, that movie actually changed my management style did it because I realized when I saw that movie that I did have a habit of saying to people after I'd asked them to do something that'd be great mm-hmm. <laughs> I never said it again after I saw yeah. that movie <laughs> when did you see it may I ask um it probably was in the early 2000s. Okay. I I was a manager by then, so it would have been after 2001. But yeah, I've realized that. And the other one that's so peculiar in that movie that you hear a lot is, I'm going to have to. Yeah. So so they keep, so Lumberg says it, but also I think some of the other people, bosses say it. I'm going to have to ask you. It's so passive aggressive, right? Right. Like I'm, I'm being forced to make this extremely uncomfortable decision for you. Right. Mm-hmm. And so um, one of the reasons that they take it out on that printer is because it it's constantly giving them an error, this PC load letter message. Yes, absolutely. Which I had seen as a child because my mother always had lots of printers around long story. So I had actually seen that message before on my printers at home and at my mom's office. Oh, I thought they made it up. No, it's real. What does it mean? Well, that's it. No one knows. (laughs) It's just, I'm broken. Yeah. It it just means I think we can't load the paper or there's a problem with the PC or anything else. Yeah. It's uh, you generally had to consult some sort of manual to decipher it. I see how, how appropriate. Mm Mm-hmm. So I want to explain a little bit about the movie. At the beginning, we see uh, our main character. Peter. And so he's going to work. He's on his commute. And we see his terrible day. And then he gets talked into going to a hypnotherapist. Mm -hmm. And the hypnotherapist hypnotizes him and then dies, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or becomes yep. incapacitated. I think he and just died right on the, right on the floor, just right dies. in the midst. Yeah, before he brought him out of the state of tranquility and back to real life, he just right. left him in tranquil zone. Okay, so yeah, so Peter is now left in this very bizarre state of mind where he really just doesn't care about work anymore. Yep. And he was supposed to go in to the office on a Saturday because his terrible boss. I told him that that'd be great if he came in on Saturday. So he just doesn't come in. Yep. And then his his mean girlfriend's hassling him. And so mm-hmm. they break up on the phone. He's like, whatever. He goes back mm-hmm. to bed. So he's in this completely altered state yep. and, and decides to go in to do so. He has to pick up something at, at the office or something. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he decides to go in in his greatly altered state. And so you have this weird kind of, alternate universe depiction now of the workplace through the eyes of someone who just really doesn't give a darn. Yep. Yep. That's what actually, you know, it's funny you mentioned those iconic scenes and, and my iconic scene for me, the most poignant is the conversation between Peter and the Bobs, the two consultants that are brought in to fire people. Um, and, you know, of course, Lumberg doesn't state it that way. They're here to help us make some you know, improvements around here. Efficiency, efficiency, um, yeah, efficiency experts or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Euphemisms. And, and they interview Peter, and the classic line is, 
it's not that I'm lazy. It's that I just don't care. <laughs> right. Well, it was. I noticed in one of the scenes, I was trying to see if you had it anywhere, that there was like this motivational poster in the movie. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I couldn't quite read it. You know, it was, it's one of those typical office motivational posters, right? So I started to look around on the internet to see if I could find any reference to it. Mm-hmm. And, and instead, what I found are all these kind of anti-motivational posters Oh, based the demotivators? On, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. the demotivators based on the movie, right? So there are several of those. It's not that I'm lazy. It's mm-hmm. that I just don't care. Yeah, or about <laughs> how uh, teamwork allows everyone to be lazier. Oh, so, I haven't seen that one. Oh, there's quite, yeah, demotivators is a wonderful website. I used to link to it from my own website. Oh, okay. For a while, right. but I haven't visited in a little bit. Yeah, it's a, it's a great film. I mean, I, I don't know... Um, exactly what every person's going to take away from it when they watch it. If you've been in an office, you'll probably relate to one of the characters or that particular character will make your eye roll just a little bit uh, like the lady who listens to the radio or or Milton listens to the radio. So you might have that employee. Uh, You might have the lady who's like kind of insanely perky. Somebody's going to teach the Mondays. You know, there's just these classic moments that you might relate to because of your personal experience. And along you've been in the office, I, I have uh, colleagues and, and clients that like have office space memes in their emails and signature lines and in their logins to teleconferencing. You know, so it's it's everywhere. It's everywhere. That's really yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that case of the Mondays also resonated so I guess that's the first day Peter goes into work and he's not very cheerful. And so people who, you know, the same people who are reminding him that he's not used a cover letter or something, cover Mm -hmm. page to his work Mm -hmm. and, oh, could I send you that email? Mm -hmm. They say, well, I guess somebody has the case of the Mondays, which, yeah, Yeah. you just want to punch somebody in the face. They said that to you. But then, so one of Peter's, um, another character in the movie Peter has a neighbor named Lawrence who mm-hmm. works as in construction or something like that. Yep. And I guess also that's based on a real life character that the judge knew who was an auto, me- auto mechanic and seemed much happier in his job than the mm-hmm. judge was. And so at one point, Peter asks Lawrence, do people at your job, you know, say like, oh, well, somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Mm-hmm. And Lawrence is like, uh, no, they'd get uh, beat up. <laughs> yeah, no, man, no one would ever say that to you. Right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, Lawrence is a great character as a kind of the, uh, the foil or the counterpoint to office culture, you know, just kind of mm-hmm. uh, kind of rough around the edges, straight shooting dude. Um, and, you know, ultimately gives Peter some, some good advice as he's going off to prison, perhaps, uh, or thinks he might be. And um, then, you know, as you know, Peter ends up working construction with Lawrence at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. At the end of the movie, yeah, we'll we'll go back to that. Um, so yeah, so in the as things progress in the plot, the Bobs, these consultants, become very enamored with Peter and decide mm-hmm. that his attitude is is really great, and in fact, he should be promoted instead of fired. And mm-hmm. other people should be made to work for him. So there's this strange turnabout now where Peter has all this um, mm-hmm. power and influence that he didn't have before while he's in this trance, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. There's another line. He's, he's pretty casual now about going, going to work, right? He doesn't really care. Yep. And so at one point, the Bobs say to him, oh, well, Peter, it seems as though you've been missing work. Yeah, missing a lot of work lately. <laughs> so t- tell us what Peter says. He says, well, I wouldn't say I've been missing it, Bob. <laughs> and of course, they just laugh uproariously because he's so clever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good one, good one. And, well, Blumberg's reaction, I think, is the most interesting part of that because he says in his typical passive-aggressive way when they call Peter a straight shooter and recommend a promotion that, yeah, I'm going to have to sort of disagree with you about that mm-hmm. um and and so it's coming back to bite Lumberg that you know, his least favorite employee perhaps is uh in line for a promotion i i wanted to tell you a story about why i created this website and talk about how this this movie has influenced actual life 
um, and not just portrayed it, but like made people realize how absurd office culture is. Um, is that all right? Can I tell oh, yeah. That, oh, no, that please. Silly story? So, so this website, bullshitjob.com, that I made uh, in 2001, I believe, early 2001, um, I had a job in the tech industry at that time. I had uh, my salary had gone up and up and I'd switched jobs a couple of times in the short two years since I started working after college in the tech industry, still working in cubes. But now I was driving out to the suburbs and going to the lunch at the local cheesy restaurant, whatever it was called. And I was contract. So I wasn't a full time employee. And near the end of my contract, my boss didn't have anything for me to do one day. There was nothing on my plate. So I asked him, is there anything I can do? He said, I'll get back to you. I went back to him the next morning. Same answer. Went back to him the third morning. Said, I get back to you. So I, I just stopped asking. And that went on for 20 working days straight. So nearly a full month. Uh, and I didn't have anything to do. So I played a lot of Space Empires 4. I read at my cubicle. I showed up usually before 10 and stayed until at least 4 and took a long lunch. And then they brought me into an office, my boss and his boss, uh, as my contract came to a close. And I was, of course, certain that they were going to lay me off. And mm-hmm. that's why they hadn't given me, any, given me any work to do for the last month. Um, and they said, instead, Stuart, you've been doing a great job. We're going to bring you on full time and give you a raise. So I got insurance benefits and a raise. And they brought me on full time. And, and I did have a little bit of work to do after that. But the company itself actually went bankrupt uh, about two years later. And, and I was laid off in a round of layoffs uh, 18 months after I was brought on full time. They burned through $25 million of venture capital in three years. That's so, that's such a distressing story. That's just <laughs> terrible. But my boss, it, contrary to what I experienced in office space, this is rather interesting. My direct bosses were actually pretty cool to me in the early days of my cubicle experience. Uh, I had two great bosses and this particular one who brought me on full time kind of understood that this company was not long for this world. And he mm. took me out to lunch and he said, you know, Stuart, you need to buy, a, you need to buy a house with your salary right now. And, um, you know, this company's not going to be around very long and kind of took me under his wing a little bit. Yeah. Clever advice. Mm-hmm. And I did follow his advice and, and um, still own the home. So I think that, wow. I, uh, but it was his bosses that I could sense were more like lumber and he was kind of protecting his junior employees like myself. Uh, sure. Most of the people on his team were under 30 and technical people uh, like myself. And he, and he was in his late 30s himself, so kind of knew the ropes, so to speak. And I'm sure he landed on his feet when the company went bankrupt as well. He got laid off with me and all our team. I just think it was really interesting to watch this dysfunctional corporation break down and just hemorrhage money while they were talking about, oh, everyone's going to have to work late tonight because we really are under the gun to get this new customer. And we were all forced to stay until 7. They would buy us dinner, but there was literally nothing for us to do some days. But it was all the theater that we were supposed to stay and work until 7 p.m. We were going to do 10-hour days until we got over the hump. (laughs) Instead, they just gave us dinner. We had nothing to do, and then they laid us all off anyway. Yeah, it's really frustrating for me to hear about situations like that. And I wonder how much of that still goes on. You hear about these really crazy hours that young people are being asked to work, kind of mm-hmm. 24-7 being on. And, and you know, in the big picture, you also see these companies that don't function very well and make terrible decisions. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's bad on multiple levels, you know, on the individual level, but also just in the terms of our general economy, especially in the venture capital world, that all this money gets wasted. Yeah, it, it does. And young people, especially in the tech industry, are very bright. It's um, mm-hmm. ironic, I think, that, uh, that that directors and executives want the best people, but then kind of assume that these intelligent employees that they've hired can't read a balance sheet or an annual report and don't know that the company is doomed. Um, and the young folks are playing the game, too. Like, this is the best that they can do at this point in their lives. Uh, they're making a good salary. They're trying to pay off their student loans. Um, I think the young people catch on pretty quick, at least most of them do, 
that sometimes their hard work doesn't even really matter. And just because they're at work a long time doesn't mean they're working. No, so, and, it, and if you feel as though the work that you're putting in is not being used effectively, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at the higher levels, also very disillusioning for, for young workers. I find that, at least in my experience, now this is quite a while ago, uh, probably 80% of the young, intelligent, capable workers understand that there's nonsense going on. Mm-hmm. There's about 20 of them that are, 20% of them that are like Boy Scout and Girl Scout type personalities and never give up and never see the nonsense and aren't cynical at all. But it doesn't take long to read the writing on the wall for a sharp young person. Well, it's really hard for me to see people uh, hire really bright, enthusiastic, uh, you know, motivated, just well-intentioned, hardworking people, and then treat them poorly and also wreck them. <laughs> That's really, I, I get, uh, I get uh, very unhappy about that. I know, there's this one job that I had where, like, all of the junior people, and we were being paid very well for the time, um, and. All of the young tech people had like agents. Uh, we have recruiters. So when you showed up at your job, you sometimes got a signing bonus and you often got a gift basket of fruit and whatnot. This was in the dot-com days. And my understanding mm-hmm. is it's kind of like that now today as well. So you might be in another bubble, but you know that's just theory. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that when, when we showed up, we were kind of treated well until we got there. And then we were, right. seated, and then we were seated in a hallway. One time I showed up at a job. And my desk was in a hallway. They had like a rolling desk, the kind you would put in your living room or something like that. You could just kind of scoot up against the wall. And, you know, my title had the word senior in it, of course. Oh, my. And, and I was sitting in a hallway. Um, yeah. So what's I, the message there, right? Yeah. That, that, what, and the desk wasn't even assembled when I showed up. Oh, gosh. Assemble it myself. Oh, no. So that's what, <laughs> that's what the title senior got me. It got me a big raise and then nothing when I showed up. And all the executives, of course, had the offices around the side of the building, as is mm-hmm. typical, even today, where they have a window view and whatnot. And they'd often keep their doors open. One of my employee, uh, fellow employees one time sent out an all-department email, or maybe all-company email, not directed at any one person, but he still got in trouble for it. He said, it's okay to check your voicemail in the morning, not on speakerphone. Because it was because their yeah, the okay. doors were open, and so yeah. I see. Yeah, I think it's he okay. provided that. Yeah, it's an option. It's, it's, it's okay, okay to either shut your door while your voicemail is on speakerphone, or take it off speakerphone. You can do that. And of yeah. course, he, he got a talking to. Oh, did he? I see. Yeah. I got a talking to one time when I gave a report out that showed that the number of bugs in our software was increasing faster than we were fixing them. Now that's just a fact. Mm-hmm. But I pointed that out and I said, here's a number. You know, and, and that was my job was to manage that system. And uh, that, well, that wasn't appropriate, <laughs> but it was true. It was true. It was a fact. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, here we get into the fake news problem of, of <laughs> Maybe, today. Yeah. Well, uh, people don't like to, for situations to reflect poorly upon them. And, uh, and it, if that's, I don't know if they were asking me to fib but they were certainly asking me to conceal an unpleasant reality. Right. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. It's really unfortunate when I don't know what to call that kind of living, living in a fantasy world. That company went bankrupt too. I was going to just say (laughs) that that's, it's that kind of behavior that leads companies to fail. Yeah. It was great. The executive um, who we were certain had, we knew that he had a private apartment like one block away from the office. And uh, we think that he was having an affair with one of the secretaries because they would often come in late to meetings together. Uh, But that was just a theory. And so we had all these little, like, we basically had all these suspicions of what our executives were up to. And we knew that they were getting paid a multiple of what we were getting paid. And and we were doing well for our age and experience. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to complain, but we know that they're doing even better than we are and working less hard. So um, in the final announcement that, you know, with the final layoff, he said, um, the company has entered the next phase of its business cycle. Oh, my. That was the announcement. So, boy, if that's not corporate speak, 
to an extreme. And did death, is that the next phase? Like, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> the next right. phase of life after hospice, you know, <laughs> boy. Yeah. And it's frustrating to me with that kind of corporate spin, which I've, I've written about when, you know, it's just so insulting, right? It's insulting mm-hmm. to someone's intelligence and to think that you're going to get away with that, with these very bright employees who are all, you know, scrutinizing your memos and listening very carefully to your, to you when you speak in company meetings, yeah, you, yeah. you're, you're really deluding yourself and you're doing a lot of damage because you discourage them, right? It, they get disenchanted and, and stop believing you and be, engage in that kind of behavior. Sure. But what about you? I mean, when this movie came out and you watched it, you changed your method of speaking. I did. Do you, definitely. Do you, do you still see echoes of office space today as an executive? Yes, sadly. But I will say when I watched the movie most recently, I was surprised at how sweet I found it. And that may be kind of a bad commentary on just how bad things are. Things have gotten a little wacky, in my opinion, in the workplace. And I have particular pet peeves. One of them is, for example, the open plan layout, Mm. which is so clearly uh, counterproductive. You know, for it's like having somebody check their voicemail messages on speakerphone times 20. Yeah. Because you're in this open space. And so I think there's been more dehumanizing in the workplace, even worse than I would say office space. Some That's things, hard to imagine. <laughs> I mean, some, some things have obviously gotten better, but I do think there's kind of a wackiness now that we didn't necessarily see in, in office space. Partly it's technology. Mm. Uh, you know, people are being communicated with by their employer or their bosses in multiple places now you know oh, right like, email um, slack text yeah, exactly name it. yeah exactly and so you get the poor employees get kind of bombarded by all that right. i think there's less respect for personal time mm. um, but you know and then there's still kind of the grading you're not wearing enough flair kind of you know bs that that goes on yeah, yeah there's a that. there's a major theme in office space that that comes up when Peter says, he kind of hits the end of his rope. And this is the point at which the layoffs are coming. And he's uh, trying to explain to his coworkers that this is all wrong. This this mm-hmm. whole environment, everything here, these office parks and, and dismal restaurants, everything is wrong. And he says something like, people were not meant to sit at their desks and stare at screens all day. Yeah. And it's such a um, you know, profound message. And yet, in fact, I think today we probably have that even worse, right? People are, have multiple screens that they're looking at all the time. Yeah, I saw a comedian um, and he was talking about how many screens can you get in your face at one time, <laughs> right? You've got, you've got the big TV in the distance, you've got your computer, you've got your tablet, and then you've got your phone. He's like, can we can we add more? How many can we get? Can we put them on your glasses? What about on the top of your glasses? Like, a baseball cap bit maybe we can get that you know so um it is getting kind of extreme i i was introduced in 2002 as the new resource um here's this is Stuart. he's our new resource oh my. like that's very uh dehumanizing in a way um but after all this experience in corporate culture and just as on a personal note i decided that i was going to enter the nonprofit area uh, mm-hmm. and work there. And that has its own issues. And I became a consultant and worked, been working for myself ever since. And um, so I think corporate culture has its own flair. To, yeah, right. <laughs> to no, exactly. It right. has its, its own absurdities. And then um, nonprofits also have their own absurdities. And I think people who work in government probably have a different flavor of it. But these workplace the people thrown together forced to do things that are inhuman, sit at a chair and stare at a computer screen all day and deal with five different methods of communication and interact with people that they would normally never spend a minute with. But now we all have to get work done together and pretend that we like it. I mean, it is absurd to the extreme. 
It's very challenging. I'm glad you've laid it out that way. That's partly why I do this podcast, because I think there's so much room for improvement. I mean, it can be a lot of fun. And, and when it's yeah. done, when it's done well, it's great, right? We we contribute a lot to the world. But there are so many ways in which we undercut our our efforts or even our humanness or our ability to to get along and create things. And so office space, while it's a comedy, is a good reminder of of ways. It's also a it. documentary. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. An unwitting documentary of many people's lives and kind of little microcosms and catchphrases. It's interesting that you bring up using that word resource. It's one of the things I also object to is, you know, just what we call human resources or in one company I worked, we called it human capital, which then, oh, wow. yeah, that I thought that would resonate with you. Yeah. So we, we just have gotten very confused about people and how we treat them. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a, a few friends and acquaintances who work in Silicon Valley and you may know that Mike Judge is um, part of the new Silicon Valley TV series. Well, not new, but it's been around for several years. And mm-hmm. that's also based upon his experience in Silicon Valley, although updated for the present time and the absurdity and presence of eccentric billionaires and, and all this kind of pie in the sky venture capitalism is pretty hilarious. It um, is. It's very funny. I'd forgotten that he was involved with that. Also highly recommended to listeners. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of the comedians that they've hired to be actors in there are really, really good. So, really good, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've enjoyed that. Not as much as Office Space, but it's good. Yeah, like I say, I was kind of surprised when I saw it this time. It, it's quite sweet, actually, in, in some ways. There's an undercurrent of of real, uh, I suppose it's it's harkens back to an earlier time. So there's kind yeah. of some nostalgia to it now. I find the characters in Office Space a bit more sympathetic than um, Silicon Valley. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's because you don't get to know them quite as well. But uh, you know, I find Peter sympathetic and Michael Bolton sympathetic. And so all, all of those guys are flawed and goofy, but um, you can kind of relate to them. In a, mm-hmm. For sure. In a, they, they mean well, uh, and they're in a difficult spot. You know, Michael and Samir, or, um, yeah, Michael and Samir end up going to, over to Penetrode. <laughs> Intertrode or whatever it is, all these silly company names. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. How many how many different syllables can we string together and sound important? It's hilarious. Well, even in a tech, yeah. you know, right off the bat, I think that that we see that word. It's like, okay, I see where we're going with this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so back to the movie. Um, so the two guys, his two very nice uh, coworkers, uh, unfairly get laid off. Mm-hmm. And so Peter convinces them that what they should do is is uh, seek revenge on the company. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so they concoct this plan to introduce a piece of software that's going to extract a few pennies for every transaction and deposit those pennies into a bank account that they have control of. So they're going to steal, right? Yeah. Well, I shouldn't say it quite like that. So. So he explains all this, and one of the coworkers says, "You know, this sounds kind of illegal." And so Peter says, "This is America. <laughs> right. This is the right thing for us to do because this is this is America. This is how we uh, how we get back at at this company." And then he tries to explain the plan to the to Joanne, I guess her name is the Jennifer Aniston character. And so she just keeps saying, well, this sounds like stealing. <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then he says, I think I'm not explaining this well. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> oh, yeah. and then it's he, stealing. It, it, it is stealing for yeah. sure. And then, of course, Michael Bolton screws up the code. Right. 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 Well, and, and at that point, he's, he tries to justify what they're doing by saying to Joanne, remember, Nazis made people wear flair, <laughs> which I that I don't know that I noticed that line particularly. Um, yeah, he's really stretching, but that's a that's an ode to who? Do you know that there's an internet meme that whoever mentions Nazis first in an argument on the internet mm, wins? They, no, they just lost the argument. Oh, they yeah. lost the argument. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, right. you have to, if you have to talk about Nazis in order to make your point, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your point is weak. You've just lost. 
Yeah. So he resorts to that desperate move, right? Of, of mm-hmm. saying, yeah. Yeah. Because he knows she's right. Yeah. He's stretching. Yeah. He's, he's, he's grasping at stress. So, yeah, Michael Bolton, one of my favorite characters, and the Bobs, of course, torture him to death with um, mm. asking him his favorite Michael Bolton songs. And, and then those scenes with him are just hilarious where he finally is reduced to saying, it's okay. You can call me Mike Bolton. Yeah, <laughs> I just gonna he's gonna give in to the pressure for being a Michael Bolton fan. Yeah, and and they're sadistic about it. They love it. They know that they're gonna lay him off. And Yo, yeah, right. And they just you know talk about Michael Bolton and how big of fans they are. Right. Okay. So he, I had forgotten that he's the one who screws up the coat. So instead of shaving off just a few pennies the thing starts working like mm-hmm. unexpectedly. And so Ten suddenly, times better than expected. yeah. So suddenly they have $300,000 in this account mm-hmm. and the, the uh, plot progresses from, from there. I did want to uh, kind of go back to the ending. Mm-hmm. And so I've seen several criticisms on the internet about the ending. Huh. So, okay. So, one of the thing, things happen. I won't go into all the details, but things happen. Happen. Milton ends up on a paradise island, and Peter ends up working with Lawrence on this kind of demolition site where the well, yeah. work, doing hard labor instead of uh, software engineering work. And I've seen several criticisms of the movie for that ending with people saying, this isn't the right solution. If you have a job that you hate, your only option is not just to go work in construction or some quote unquote, you know, honest job. Mm -hmm. What did you think about that? Um, I thought it was a fine ending. And I think that what it, the movie is not trying to paint a solution. Mm -hmm. So I think that that criticism is putting more on the movie than the movie intended to be. So everyone at an office has a pipe dream. Um, I had a boss who wanted to retire and own a liquor store in Hawaii. And he would talk about that to us and in meetings, he was in his late fifties. And so everyone's got a pipe dream and that's, or that's Peter's pipe dream that he's gonna just work in the sun and move a shovel around and be blissful. And that's gonna be hard work, dude. Just like my boss is gonna open a liquor store in Hawaii and that's gonna be hard work. You know, he's crazy if he thinks he can just sit behind a desk and and sell rum and, and be blissful. You know, that's gonna cost a lot of money and and to, to set that up. And so I think that the joke is on Peter. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah, when you talk about a pipe dream or these fantasies that we have, I do think sometimes people aren't realistic about what that would really take. Like, okay, are you you really willing to get up at six in the morning, open your liquor store at nine, keep all the books, have kind of nasty employees that you have to take care of, cope with drunks and, you know, just that... That we right. don't think we don't always think about that part of it. Right? And it looked like a blissful springtime day in Texas. Wait until it's the middle of August, Peter. Are you going to have a nice time shoveling asphalt? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Your, your friends are wearing uh, slacks and, and going to tchotchkes to have lunch again. So I'm not sure there is a solution. That's what the movie's trying to say. Mm-hmm. There are cho- there are choices, but yeah, there there's not choices. a solution, right? That's interesting. Yeah. Bless Peter's heart. I wish him well, but I don't think that he's going to last in construction. I wouldn't think so either. I guess I didn't assume when I saw that ending that that was it. That you know that 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 was supposed to be the end of the story for him. I assumed that he would do that for a while and then go find some other job. Yeah, probably. I have to mention the house across the street from us is being uh, tented for termites this oh weekend. And so, and it actually rained here. We don't get very much rain, but it rained here. And so I was watching one of the guys up on this slick, you know, plastic covered roof in the rain, unclipping the, the things, the uh, plastic coverings that are mm-hmm. covering the house. 
and it just looks dangerous as all get out. And and I just thought, you know, people work really hard. I I take my hat off to people. They're they're hard workers. Yeah, and I think I think the message of the movie is that you can't take things too seriously. Mm-hmm. The solution is well, maybe it's more. I don't know very much about Buddhism, and and I'm not trying to be religious at all. What I'm just saying is is to the happiness is the is the way there's no way to happiness happiness is the way and so maybe if there's a moral to the story uh it is that absurdity is the reality and you just have to learn to deal with it in your own way every day whether that's shoveling asphalt until you get tired and then working in a movie theater and then going back to school if that's your path then just enjoy that and enjoy the absurdity of it all yeah i was thinking about this movie as therapy because it did become such a cult favorite and people have watched it many times, you know, references to it everywhere. And, and then when you see a reference to it and somebody else gets it, you have this feeling of solidarity, right? That, mm-hmm. that other people see the world the same way you do. Yes. And, and somehow that, that gives you some hope, right? Right. It's like, am I crazy? And then you talk to somebody and they're like, no, I see the same things. You're not crazy. And then I saw this too. And you think, oh, that's even worse than what I saw. So it is a bit validating, I think. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. It's validating. And yeah, it shows some sanity in an insane world. Mm-hmm. Or the way to sanity is to uh, accept the absurdity. There's a a philosopher named Camus, C-A-M-U-S, who's a mm-hmm. French philosopher, and, he, and his pathway to happiness is to accept the absurdity of life and and be a hero of your own story. And so I think maybe that's, I'm probably, probably placing way too much on this movie that's just mocking office culture, <laughs> but um, that's how I kind of see the solution. Well, he, th- he then took it to another level when he did Idiocracy, which is also one of my favorite movies. And Mm -hmm. that one is probably less sweet um, because it really is kind of frightening the world that he depicts. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite a dystopia. Uh Um, mm -hmm. But I think that you're right. And that movie also kind of tanked in the theater um, as well. So Judge is, in my opinion, some sort of sarcastic genius but he does not have a talent for a box office hit. No, although there's a certain group of us that really find him, yeah, to be a genius and and really see him as a hero. Yeah, the idiocracy story was interesting. There were, I did have a feeling that there might have been some elements that actually were trying to suppress that movie. Oh, I heard he got in trouble for the specific references to brands. Like, um, so he portrayed certain popular American brands in a very unfavorable light. Yeah. 500 years in the future. The brands still exist, but it's, it's awful. And mm-hmm. uh, so that, that didn't go well, I think. I, I suspected that, yeah, there was some politics behind that. But yeah, that's another one for my listeners. If you haven't seen Idiocracy, do check it out. It's not for everybody, but for certain no. people, it really is. It really yeah. is a great movie. If you want to get some insight into Mike Judge, I mean, I, I haven't studied the man, but I've seen a lot of his work. And um, he does another thing, which is a partially animated series. Of course, he did King of the Hill, which when people from other countries ask me, what's America really like? Because I do travel a lot. In fact, we were talking about that mm-hmm. before we, we started the recording. Uh, they ask me, what's America really like if they've never been there? And I tell them about King of the Hill. And I, say, I well, see. That's, that's probably as close as you can get to to quote real America as you as anything that I've ever seen on TV. And yeah. I think it's not my favorite show, but it's pretty cute. Um, and Hank Hill is like the kind of quintessential of uh, American goofball man. And I think um, another thing that Judge did that was interesting, that's very well, uh, not very well known, is Tales from the Tour Bus. So that's a series where Judge explores um, stories from uh, well, the first season is country music, particularly country music in the 70s and 80s. And so each episode is about a particular country music star, such as Johnny Paycheck. 
um, or Tammy Wynette and George Jones. And his sense of humor is so dry as he interviews people who knew these famous country stars and their backing band and their manager and their relatives. And the absurdity that he addresses in his documentary with a straight face as he narrates it is really, uh, it's hard to believe. Like it, he, he is, some of the things that he, stories he tells are so difficult to believe. And, um, you know, definitely it's not for kids because some of the things that these stars get up to is scandalous, uh, to say the least. Hmm. But um, yeah, it's worth it's worth a watch if you want to get more insight into how Judge views the world. Like he finds this stuff fascinating, but never mocks it. Like I don't feel like he's mocking Peter, or I feel like he has sympathy for this dysfunction. Like, he might be mocking Lumberg. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I would say I, that. And the Bobs. And the Bobs. Yeah, he's mocking those guys. But uh, but of course, everybody everybody in that at least in office space is flawed, as you say, in different ways. He's more sympathetic to, to some than others, but mm-hmm. it's not a black and white evil versus good kind of, it, it's just a mess. <laughs> yeah, it's just a mess. And that's what Tales of the Tour Mess portrays as well. I, so I think I think the man with the straight face really enjoys um, putting a mess on display mm-hmm. just for the sake of it, without necessarily having to moralize about it. Right, uh-huh. Or, or give a happy ending or offer a solution. He's just like, look at this mess. <laughs> mm-hmm. that isn't, that, isn't this fascinating and entertaining and sad all at once? Right. Yeah, I feel that way about Idiocracy, too. That it's sort of a horror show, but also fascinating. Yeah, and with no solution, really. Yeah, Idiocracy especially. Yeah, there's, yeah. No, there's no moralization. I mean, no, no solution, I mean. Tales from the Tour Bus. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, it's interesting for sure. Well, I want to uh, thank you for creating the website and bringing more of this kind of uh, craziness to the fore so that we we learn to work better together. And I wonder if you'd like to share anything with the listeners. uh, They could uh, learn more about what you do or anything you'd like to share with them. No, I don't need to self-promote other than to say that the bullshitjob.com website has been in existence for almost 20 years now and was made on company time. Oh. <laughs> that, co- that company is long gone, long gone. <laughs> and so it comes from a real place. And um, I hope people enjoy it and try not to take their bullshit jobs too damn seriously. Right. Good. Well, thank you very much, Stuart. Okay. You take care. That's it, everybody. You've made it through another episode of Dear Discreet Guide, Trouble at Work. In keeping with the new year, we'll be changing our format somewhat as the show has evolved. We'll continue to address work-related problems, but in our second year, we'll be going beyond just an advice show to talk about work trends, labor laws, economics, interesting companies, as well as pranks, bad bosses, and more screw-ups at work. If you have a question about a work-related issue or a comment about the show, please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us through the website discreetguide.com. That's D-I-S-C-R-E-E-T. And at that website, you can also sign up for The Pergola, a digital publication that comes out every other month, and get information about training programs, books, consulting sessions, articles, jokes, and resources, all for us to work better together. Thank you for joining my quest to improve our workplaces. And thanks for listening. New shows will be available every Tuesday and sometimes Friday. Tune in so you can hear more about trouble at work.